0: Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bennett. You're listening to the daily Halacha, Machshava, and Kabbalah podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want more content like this and you're enjoying this, and if you want to support what it is that we are doing in creating this kind of Torah, please go over to www.yesodblocks.com, which is our platform website where we are adding new content every day and every week. There is more and more stuff going on. Uh, We have a big upgrade coming up pretty soon as well. I'll be adding some video content to the website over the next uh, week or two, God willing. So if you are interested in that kind of stuff and you want more of this, then please head over there and support what we are creating by subscribing for only $9.99 a month at www.yasodeblocks.com. Additionally, you can check out our album that was recently published on iTunes and Amazon. Uh, also available on yesodblocks.com if you are a subscriber. It is called Tikkun Hayisod, all about using the integrated frameworks of Torah thought to do battle with the dark side of the internet. So check that stuff out and support what we are trying to create here. In this episode, we are looking at uh, Simon Vav. We're still, uh, we just kind of uh, finished this section about Asher Yatzar, which is the bracha that we say going to the bathroom, or upon going to the bathroom. Um, and now there's this next halacha here, which is Seif Gimel, uh, which is focusing on a bracha called Elochai Neshama and a particular concept, a halacha concept that we find in relation to brachos. So let's just read it a little bit and then uh, try to explain what's going on here and dig into the underpinnings as we always try to do, which is exploring a halacha on its superficial practical expression and then try to get to the underlying dynamic that it is. Uh, containing. So what it says in Sif Gimel, Halacha number 3, The bracha of does not open with the word baruch. In other words, in the text of the bracha, we don't start the bracha with the word baruch. This is a bracha that's a bracha of Hodaah, usually translated as a bracha of gratitude. So let's just explain a little bit what's going on here. So we have this bracha, um, we have this concept of bracha, first of all, that we have to we say these different uh, phrases, these, these different statements in, in, in different situations. And the classic ones, uh, we have brachos that we make, it's called birchos, birchos hanenin, which means brachos that we make over things that we're enjoying in life, things that brachos on pleasure of life. So it's like if you're eating food, so then there's different brachos that you would make uh, over the experience of eating that food. And the reason for that is because when you eat food, so it's a pretty p- powerful experience uh, in a sensory way, a sensual experience. And so with that what happens is that we're trying to link. When, 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 we, when we actually experience an intense experience, an, an intense sensory experience, what it does is it pulls our consciousness kind of into a funnel. If you think of your consciousness as just kind of like this vast um, cloud, and then when you get in, involved in a particular experience, then what happens is your conscious kind of like tornadoes down. It spirals down into that experience and now identifies with it as you are immersing yourself in it. It's kind of like the living in the moment energy of just being in that experience. And so the the physical experience of eating draws our attention uh, deeply into this funnel, and so we have these these brachos that we say. These are phrases that are essentially consciousness triggering phrases. Where you say Baruch Ata Hashem, and and the meaning of that phrase is basically, Well, Hashem, you are you are um, you are are receiving uh, greater space in my consciousness through the experience. In other words, in other words instead of just uh, having a, a, an intense physical experience which now draws my consciousness to focus in a more isolated way and to be uh, kind of more cut off from the larger truth of its own self, which is Hashem. So instead we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Hashem, you are actually more, There's, you are receiving now more presence uh, in my mind uh, through this experience. And I'm actually trying to tie this physical experience of eating this food to uh, an awareness of you. And so what's happening there is you're basically making a statement. That statement is describing what you're trying to accomplish, which is you're basically saying out loud, I am now going to tie this thing that I'm experiencing to my awareness of you, Hashem. And so you're basically then, you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's not just that I ate you know, this chocolate bar or this apple or whatever. It's that this experience I'm having of eating this is, um, is now linked inherently to my experience of Hashem, so it's kind of it's kind of like it makes it into a more uh, multi-textured experience. And it's kind of oh, that's it's kind of, and, and as an analogy, it's the difference between eating eating, let's say, lunch by yourself versus eating with a friend. When you when you eat lunch with a friend, you go to a restaurant, you meet up for brunch or whatever. So what's happening there is that you are now having this experience in which the eating has multiple layers. It's kind of like a shared eating. Oh, that lunch was fun. Like it was great food, great company. We had like it's an overall consciousness experience. That includes in its totality all of these different elements. That's also true with you know when you when you compare to eating an apple uh, by yourself or any other food when you're eating by yourself and you say a bracha, you're trying to now include Hashem in the in the experiential side of that so that you can you can track. Where did this apple come from? You know, what is the flow of this apple's existence? That or, or this food's existence? That kind of uh, is is translated from being Hashem's totality manifest through all these different layers of being. Kind of what's called in, in the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah language, like the different layers, different worlds, the worlds of of, of Atzilut, the worlds of the worlds of Briah, the world of Yetzirah. These are like layers of existence that Hashem has to tran- uses. He uses them to translate himself from being this to- totality of oneness to this um, fragmented diversity of multiplicity and otherness. And so that's what the bracha is in general. And so here we have this um, this other kind of bracha. It's called a bracha of hodaah, as opposed to the food example, which is a bracha birchas hanen, which is basically where you're now trying to access that kind of Hashem headspace in the context of a, of a physical, sensual experience. Here we have um, a bracha of hodaah, which is where you're actually trying to look at some aspect of your life uh, and you're trying to notice its significance, and then um, essentially recognize the 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 need for someone outside of yourself in actually allowing that that item of significance to take place or to exist. Now, the reason I'm saying it in like a complex language is because the word "hoda" is usually just translated as "thanks," but it's actually a funny thing because "hoda." First of all, it's also weirdly the word for admitting. If you want to be modet to somebody, like we say in the, in the morning when we wake up, modet ani lefanecha melachayvekem. I I thank you, you know, from the word toda shechazarta uh, nishmati, that you returned my neshama to me, which we're going to talk about that in a second a little further. Um, so people often think to themselves, yeah, we're thanking Hashem for for bringing us back to life. The problem is that the word hoda actually also or also or even entirely means to admit. And so why would the word for thank you be the same as the word for admit? And the reason for that is because that's exactly what thanks is. Th- thank- thanking somebody for something is basically an admission that you could not do this on your own. You are not, no man is an island. You are not an isolated entity and that you can just function in a complete self-sufficient, independent way. We are all part of this larger framework. In other words, we are each individuals and that needs to be heavily emphasized like we are each our own selves. You are responsible for your own choices. You The life that you create for yourself is largely a function of, uh, of the kinds of perspectives that you have and the, the choices that you make that's in your hands. Yet at the same time, the, the raw materials that come into your life that give you opportunities to exercise those choices, uh, whether that includes you know, specifically raw materials like just the body that you have or the opportunities that you get or the people that you meet. Those things are not in your hands. Those are in the hands of others, and you can't really control. You, know, you, you could have a person on this planet walking around that is the most perfect soulmate for you, and you may never find them because they could be in a different place in the world, and you need other people, and you need Hashem to orchestrate the, the different raw materials of your life, the, the, the playground of your life, you know, the, the setting of your life, to actually give you those those opportunities and those contexts that you need to become what you are what you are capable of becoming and so that's something which we don't always like to to admit we don't want to admit that we need other people we need things outside of ourselves to actually survive and it's not easy to do that and that's exactly what thanking means the idea of thank you basically says oh there are others who are in my life and they and, and i need them to 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 perpetuate my existence and to become who i want to become and without them i could not do it i it would be impossible without them so admitting that admitting that lack of self-sufficiency that lack of independence that is the meaning of the concept of hoda and so we have brachos of hoda where we basically are trying to look at the landscape of our life, and see all the different things that fit that category, and there are there are special brachot, special brachos that are that are that were written and coined by Chazal in the Talmud to actually focus on and capture these moments in which there is something like that. That we don't, see, that we don't, that we have a hard time seeing and, and admitting that we needed something outside of ourselves. Now, again, in both of these cases, Birchas and Birchas so the same underlying problem is present. The reason why we need these brachos is for the same reason. The reason for brachos in general is because of the eightadas the tendency towards towards. Getting uh, habituated in particular perceptions and particular ways of thinking, in particular ways of interacting, habits habits of interaction with existence, means that we have a hard time always seeing existence in a clear, objective way. In other words, you can live for a while. Thinking to yourself, yeah, I am self-sufficient. This, I, I the things that are in my life, I deserve them. I ha- I've always had them. Of course, it's completely normal to have a home with heat, or to have a device that I can use to, um, you know, to find out any information that I want on the internet, or to have food whenever I want it. And we kind of start to get very used to. The way things are for us in our individual lives, and that's what that's what das tovara is. The tendency to basically experience certain things in our lives repeatedly, repeatedly, a number of times, and then they become givens in the landscape of existence. And that is a distortion. That's where now the things that are just kind of always there, at least in our minds, they fade into the background. We call this taking things for granted. It's actually simply a result of the Eta das tovara. It is it is a it is a scourge. It's actually a it's a taint. And it's a ve- and it's very destructive because it means that there are th- there are things that we simply don't understand about our own lives we take them completely for granted and then in situations where suddenly uh, we need to realize that we have them we might fail to realize it so as an example you know, at the time of this episode so uh, we're we're currently towards the I don't know the latter phase of what's called uh, the the COVID nineteen pandemic. This is a good example of a situation in which there's a lot, a lot, a lot of pressure to basically respond to this virus in very intense ways. And the tricky thing is that we, uh, we at the same time that we are trying to respond to it and solve the problems that it's creating, in, at the same time, we may also create many, many more new problems because of the things that we are destroying along the way. And this is why in general, whenever dealing with public policy or, or trying to figure out how to manage large groups of people and their individual situations, which is the role of a government, you're supposed to actually analyze and discuss what's called the trade-offs and opportunity costs of any particular policy. In other words, if you want to Save a thousand people's lives, but you're going to end up killing ten thousand people in order to do that. Obviously, that's not a very good calculation on a policy level, and that's really not, not to say that that's what's happening right now. But that is the the role of a public policy is to try to analyze these trade-offs. And so the way, but but the reason why that could happen, you could say, well, if a thousand people are going to die today, and by saving them now in a certain way, we will then kill ten thousand people over the next six months. The problem is that that the ten thousand people the the dynamic of why they might suffer like just use an example of the lockdown situation in today's world so if you know that you're going to cause millions of people to lose their livelihoods and then have no way to support themselves and then perhaps become depressed and suicidal and have mental illnesses which will then you'll say let's say you get 20 million people that have that outcome you know over over the next 20 years well it's hard to see that when in the moment we're trying to save lives today from the virus and that's very tricky because you're basically taking uh, one 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 factor and saying, well, this is very visible right now; it's right in front of us. Whereas we we have to and we have to stop people from dying today from this virus. But then we have this larger picture of of the larger well-being of the of the society over the next 20 years. And that, those are all kind of taken as assumptions. Well, the last 20 years everybody was kind of okay, and now we're just adding this one thing. We're just changing one thing now to protect people today. But actually, you're not just changing one thing; you're actually changing one thing now and undermining many many other things from people's lives that we all kind of right now we can we, we might not even realize that we're doing that because we just take it as a given well as soon as this one thing is over this one lockdown or this one situation then all the other things that exist will all just revert to normal the problem is we don't realize that all those livelihoods all that stability all those social connections that we just took as givens because what we've, we've had them for so long in our societies so those might not be there in the same way at all and we might have actually destroyed them even in some cases, permanently. And that is exactly what Das Tobara does. It basically creates a landscape in which the things that are prominent right now are much, the things that are present right now are often much stronger, much much more strongly perceived than the things that are in the background that have, that have been there for a long time, which is why societies and countries that have not had war, in their particular environment or have not had uh, pestilence or plagues in their particular environment for long periods might lose the ability to even grasp what those things are like experientially because they actually are so used to a certain uh, frame of reference in terms of their own lives and what is simply normal we're used to having heat we're used to having air conditioning we're used to having food all the time and as soon as those things get upended in some way we don't even know how to how to relate to that because it is simply that's just how the that's just normal to have those things and that is exactly what this is about the most powerful example of this is waking up in the morning when you wake up in the morning it's when you when we go to sleep at night we think to ourselves yeah i'm going to sleep and let life just think what am i doing tomorrow and that is the ultimate in, in you know, basically taking it as a complete given that we will wake up tomorrow. But the, the the part about that that's very fascinating on a Das Tovara level is that nobody is certain that they're going to wake up tomorrow. And, and, and not, not only is nobody certain, uh, I, mean, I shouldn't say nobody. We, we are certain in our perceptions, but there is no certainty objectively that we will wake up. Simply because we are mortal creatures and death comes to everyone in this current form in the in the, in Olm hazeh phase. So our bodies are currently distorted, and we have a very serious disruption between our relationship in our relationship between ourselves and our bodies. And so there, there's a correction mechanism for that called death, which is basically this this pause in which our neshama is kind of. Removed from the space and, and and extricated from the body temporarily to allow it to rebalance itself with the body and prepare it for the next phase, which is Olam Haba, which is the phase of immortality when you basically come back to life and then you live forever after that. Uh, you know after that phase that's coming up sometime in the next couple of hundred years, and so that's something which uh, you know it's 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 a it's a feature. Of the landscape, and so there is no certainty that you're going to wake up tomorrow when you go to sleep tonight, and yet we have this certainty that we will because it's just part of the landscape. As you know, every day that you basically um, you basically see that you did wake up further reinforces the assumption that you will. What's so ironic about that is it's actually the opposite. Every day that you do wake up, you're actually closer to the day that you won't wake up. Uh, and again, the the, the this, this is important to perceive in a true way, and that's what Birchos are about. And a Das Tovara perspective is is one of two things. Either you think you, you constantly just take it as a as a given that you're going to wake up, or the alternative Das Tovara perspective, the distorted perspective, is that you constantly fixate on, on your death and you're terrified all the time. And oh my gosh, maybe I won't wake up tomorrow. The, but then there's the, the, the truth oriented, the Das MS vesheker perspective is where you look at yourself and say, Um, I think there's a, you know, I I hope to wake up tomorrow, I believe that I will, there's a good chance that I will, and I have to plan accordingly, while also always remembering that life is a gift, and I might not wake up, and at some point, I will have to give back my life, uh, at least temporarily, to its source, and I will have to uh, leave this context and then uh, prepare myself for the next phase, which is going to be a higher state of existence, where I will come back to life and then live forever at a at a higher state of clarity. And so that will be a truth-oriented perspective, where you have some awareness of the of the potential for you to not wake up, while also um, you know being relatively. Um, planned out in terms of the the probability that you will wake up and continue. And this is exactly what the brach of Elokai Neshama says. Elokay Neshama Bi. So Elokay means that, we'll, we'll skip that word for now, that Hashem is my Elohim, the source of my power. Um, the neshama, the, the consciousness that you have put into me, in other words, when you wake up in the morning, since as we mentioned in earlier episodes, we tend to be more um, uh, body immersed, because we just spent a very intense time uh, our body is now dormant and it's very, it, when it wakes up, it's very out of it, it's very woozy. And so we basically, when we kind of come back to our body in the morning, we can be very, uh, we can feel very the weight of our body on us. So it, from that frame of reference, we basically talk about the nishama, about our consciousness, about our, our very selves, as if it's a thing that is other than us. That's what we're saying here. Uh, the consciousness that you have put into me. Tehorahi, it's pure. In other words, it's not really from here. It's something which is beyond this world. And that's again, that's accessing the perspective that your life force is a gift. It's not something which is just a given. It's not from here. It's not something which is just yours to have, and and, and it's just, uh, you know, you have total control over it. You you uh, externalize it from yourself. The word berata is one of the layers of being that Hashem uses to translate himself into what we experience as the world, and so is atayitzartah. Uh, You externalized this consciousness from yourself, and then you formed it into the version that is me. And then you blew that into me. In other words, now you you actualize it in practical form. And now you, you basically help it to be guarded and protected inside of me so that way I can continue to live and you're eventually going to take it back. In other words, this is the life force that you're going to take back when, I, when, I, when it's time for, my, for the separation of my consciousness from my body in what we call death, as, as it basically extricates me and untangles me from the body distortions so I can then be rebalanced and reoriented to come back into the world in a hell, at a higher place. Um, you're going to then put it back to me and give it back to me in the future, which is what we mentioned, uh, either refers to olam haba, when we reach the stage of immortality, or when you wake up, at least maybe even maybe even in the morning when you wake up the next time, calls and any time that this consciousness is within me, this life force, this breath of you, is within me. I admit to you, Hashem. I admit before you, Hashem, that you are the. You, I admit before you, Hashem, the source of all reality, from the all the way from its root through all the multiplicity that is manifest you're also that that also for my forefathers you are the creator of all of all actions you're the master of all of all the of all consciousness fragments and thenhem and I'm now trying to increase my awareness of you ashem seem that you give back consciousness and life force to um, to dead bodies to 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 corpses really is what that word means and um, and so this bracha is is essentially supposed to be triggering the cascade of thoughts that we just articulated here, which is that we have this this um, this distortion capacity for just accepting and believing that we're going to always just be here. But life really is a gift. Every second of it is an opportunity to do things. And again, it doesn't mean you have to constantly be running around, never wasting time. So sometimes people emphasize this and say, oh, well, that means you, sh- you shouldn't waste a minute. I mean, the question is how do you define wasting? Sometimes it's important to rest and to take a break so you can, become, you can come back stronger to whatever it is that you're trying to create. But to recognize that you are a creative force that is manifest through a body into the world, and that is not a given. It is something which, you, which is a gift that, that comes to you from somewhere. It's simply another way of saying look deeply within yourself and see that at the root of who you are is actually is actually a shem self. And that is the nishama that is that is given that you are experiencing yourself as. You are this neshama that is manifest. Look into yourself and see that connection and see that sourcing within you that is Hashem. So that way you don't just take it as as this as this perspective of, oh, I'm just me doing my own thing. Admit to yourself that you are part of something larger, even as you are also an individual. That's how you access a truth-oriented perspective, which can really activate and, and much more powerfully energize the things that you do. So that is that bracha. That's what a birch has is. It's a bracha which essentially increases consciousness of Hashem um, within the, the obvious gifts that we have in our lives all around us. And that's, that's why we also associate it with saying thank you and gratitude. It's so that kind of bracha. It can stand alone. It doesn't need to even be tied to other brachas, which is the concept here that was mentioned. Uh, a bracha smucha lechaverta, we have this concept of brachas are often chained together in a series, but if it's a virchas ha'odah, we don't have to have that because it's a bracha that can stand alone in terms of uh, its it, our, our need to look at different, very disparate parts of our lives and in each one see how there is a, there is a gift within it as opposed to taking it for granted. I so hope that was clear, that you enjoyed that. Thanks again for listening, for tuning in, and check out Yesodabox.com to support our work and to get access to all kinds of awesome frameworks of Torah that are always there, always accessible, ready and waiting uh, for us to come and simply pick them up and learn them. Thanks again, and hope to see you in the next episode.